You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. Good morning. Good morning. Very, um, very glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Kyle. My last name's Hunter. Uh, we are up at Redemption Church Edmonton. I don't know if you had heard, but there is a Redemption Church up in Edmonton. We are a baby church. We launched in September, so we are brand new. And I uh, had the chance this morning to uh, switch pulpits with Pastor John. And so uh, this is a, a real joy. And it's, I find myself even just worshiping with you this morning. Um, have, it's hard to believe that this church is here, that I'm able to be here to preach. We had, um, I think it was about eight years ago now, we headed off east, went to Ontario. Uh, we had a garage sale and people in our neighborhood were saying, uh, where are you going? Why are you selling your stuff? We said, uh, we're moving. Uh, to Ontario, and they said, why in the world would you do that? And, uh, and then the next answer to that brought more confusion. Well, I'm a pastor, and we're going to go hopefully get trained up to plant a church. And, you know, it was an interesting garage sale. And uh, so we were in Alberta, went out east eight years, and then, uh, long story short, we're back. Now, when we were out east wondering what, was God, what God was going to do, if we were ever going to come back to Alberta, if God was going to uh, have us lead a church plant or not, there was a period of time in there. And I, how old's the church? How old's Olds Redemption Olds now? Anyone know the number? Seven years? Okay, so it would have been not long after we went to Ontario. And I remember there's an announcement. Uh, things were changing, and they said, hey, we're going to look to smaller centers to plant churches. And I think it was Harvest Bible Chapel at the time. And then Olds came up. They had mentioned Olds Alberta, and my heart just leapt. And I know John and I have talked because I know he has a real heart for Edmonton too, and so um, I just was so encouraged that something like that was happening. It wasn't very long ago that only Calgary was the only redemption church um, that we knew of. I think they're 11 years old, and then now we've got Olds, Calgary South, right, Red Deer, uh, Kelowna, and then uh, Edmonton now. And so, anyway, all that to say, I cannot believe that the Lord is so pleased to bring us back to Alberta, and then to be able to preach here this morning is just a real joy. So, having said all that, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 20. And so Matthew 5. And uh, anyone need a Bible this morning? Anyone forgot their Bible? Don't have a Bible? You're going to want your Bible this morning. Anyone? We've got extra Bibles, it looks like here. No? All right. One over. Okay, perfect. So turn there to Matthew 5. We'll look at verses 17 to 20. So I'll read it aloud. And then we'll dive into it together. So again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Uh, God's word. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, let's pray together and then we'll, we'll dive into God's word. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come humbly before uh, your word, and as we've prayed uh, this morning, I know the team and those helping, praying, Lord, I just ask that uh, I would certainly disappear, Lord, that I would not be a distraction this morning. I thank you that I'm able, uh, that you've been uh, pleased to allow me to be able to preach your word here in Olds, Lord, at Redemption Olds, I'm so thankful. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing here. 
Lord, we pray as we have our Bibles open and, and, and ready to dive into it, Lord, that we would see your word. Lord, that I would disappear. Lord, it would not be my words that all of us would be able to see. Know that is what my God says. And, and Father, we'd not just be hearers, but then doers of it, Lord. You have the words of life. Show us Christ. Lord, help us. Thank you for this opportunity. Would we not take it for granted? Or we're gathered here and it's not just another Sunday, Lord. This is significant. Lord, you are God Almighty. There is no one like you. There is no name but Jesus Christ in which we must be saved. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're here with us. And I pray your spirit would minister to each soul. Apply your word. Apply it even to my heart, Lord, as I preach. And help us. You are, you are worthy of praise. Lord, show us your glory. Show us who you are, I pray, for each one of us, Lord. Right now as we pray that we'd be praying this for ourselves, Lord, that we would leave uh, loving Christ more. Help us in this, Lord. Uh, there would be no greater blessing than that, so Lord, help us. And so, Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, Matthew 5, we've got Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is uh, the chapters in the book of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. And so, um, Jesus, this is the longest sermon that we have recorded uh, in the Bible. And so, uh, we come here now to really like the crux, the main idea, the, the big idea of Jesus' sermon. Our title today is uh, Thinking the Right Way About the Bible. And so, I wanted to ask you some thoughts and then we'll dive into, well, what, what is being said here about the Bible? Your thoughts on the Bible. When I say... Um, hey, what do you think about the Bible? What comes to mind? Like right now. Hey, what are your thoughts on the Bible? Do you think, uh, well, it's New Year's, and it's the first day, and I've already failed on my reading plan? Uh, do you think uh, guilt? Do you think shame? Um, what do you think of? Do you think uh, quiet, sweet times with the Lord? Do you think of accountability, one-to-one, -one, reading the Word of God with someone else? What comes to mind when you think of the Bible. Well, there's all sorts of thoughts on the Bible, and I'll list a couple of them, but they're infinite, really. Uh, the Old Testament really doesn't apply. I prefer the New Testament. Uh, people will say I prefer uh, the God of the New Testament. He seems to be different than the Old. There's just uh, some things I agree with and some things that I don't. I'm really not sure how accurate it is. I don't read it because I don't want to be confused. Now, this is, in fact, what I said when I came to Christ when I was eight years old. It was actually in a church that looked very similar to this. And, man, I understood the gospel, came to Christ, but then I didn't read my Bible because, to quote, I didn't want to be confused. I was so amazed on God's love for me. Ironically, I understood God's love through the preaching of his word. And so sometimes, though we believe these lies, like, no, if I read into it, like, I'm good where I'm at, I'll, I'll just be confused it really comes down to your interpretation, right? And don't we all have different interpretations? And the list just goes on and on. When we talk about what do you think, church, what do we think about the Bible? What do we think? Well, it's important to look at Jesus' thoughts in the Bible. It really doesn't matter what I think about the Bible or really what you think. What we think about the Bible must be what Christ thinks of his word. And so again, the context, we've got these chapters 5 to seven. At the end of this sermon then, you can even look there in chapter 7, at the end of the sermon, Jesus closes with this. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And maybe some of you know, oh, this is like that camp song, you're going to build your house on the rock. And then the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall. Christ is saying, uh, what you think of the Bible matters so much. If you hear these words, even this morning, if you hear the word of God and it doesn't cause, cause you to action, he says you will fall. And the fall will be great, but but if you hear God's word and then that changes your life, you will not fall. Things that would cause many people to be destroyed will not destroy you. You will not fall. You will stand. And so, 
How we respond to this, we'll see, determines uh, entering the kingdom of heaven or not. How you respond to God's Word will determine whether you actually enter the kingdom of heaven or not. It'll actually determine, and Christ says, your rank, your rank in heaven, rewards in heaven. God's Word is always relevant. Every word down to the smallest detail we'll see. It's good. It must be obeyed completely. And all of it points to Christ. This is why maybe you've heard this phrase, we preach Christ. We counsel Christ. We teach Christ. It is all about Christ. The Word is necessary. In fact, without it, there is no salvation. If the Word of God is not preached, you cannot be saved. It is necessary. It is sufficient and speaks to all of life. It doesn't just speak to churchy stuff. It doesn't just apply to this morning. It applies to every single day of your life, even while you sleep every moment. It's without error. It's understandable. It's authoritative. You look at the last of this sermon again. Why were they in awe? Not because he was a great speaker, but because he spoke with authority. He spoke the words of God. And so we want to take a closer look then at how we listen to and obey God's Word. If you disobey God's Word, you're not just disobeying the Bible, you're disobeying God. And so what does Christ tell us? What do we learn from Matthew 5, 17-20 about what to think about the Bible? Well, this is what we think about the Bible. And so three points this morning. The first point is going to be longer. I don't want you to be distracted working out the math and thinking, man, if that's point one, we're never leaving. Uh, but three points this morning. This is what we think about the Bible, Redemption Church. This is what we think. The Bible has a point. Glory. The Bible has a point. Glory. A look at verse 17 with me. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says, do not think. Don't, don't assume this. Why would they be assuming this? Why, why is he thinking, hey, why, you're thinking I'm, I'm going to abolish the law. Why are they assuming this? Well, they're assuming this because up to this point, he hasn't talked about obedience to the law. He hasn't talked really at all about the Pharisees and the scribes, those that would, in the, in, in the eyes of the world then, uphold the law. They're thinking, if he hasn't spoke about obeying the law, and he's not really saying anything about those that seem to be doing it well, the Pharisees and the scribes, maybe he's just scrapping the whole thing. Maybe he's abolishing it. He's moving on maybe to something better, really no different than today. I'm tired of the Bible. Let's move on to something different. And they're, they're thinking some of these things like, what are his thoughts on the Bible? And he says, don't think I came to abolish it. And so he clarifies. And look what he says. He says, I've not come to abolish the law. So the law, meaning the entire Old Testament scriptures, the law, uh, the first five books of the Bible, or the prophets. Don't think I came to abolish those. I, I'm not, not getting rid of the first five, but uh, the prophets will... We'll get rid of, no, he says not them either. So really the prophets, including the rest of the Bible, the Psalms, he actually has a higher view than they could have imagined. And he, in fact, is the only one who would ever completely obey the law. And Christ didn't come just to obey the law. This is the irony in their thinking. He came to fulfill it. Certainly not abolish it, but he came to fulfill it. He says, verse 17, that's what he came to do. I came to fulfill them, to bring it to completion, to which it originally pointed. He is the one who completes it. Most often we think, and I tend to think on the Bible. Remember I asked you that question? When I look at the Bible, I tend to, my default is to think it's all about me. And we tend to, in our sinful state, think the Bible is all about us. 
But on a simple level, if Jesus fulfills it, it's actually all about him. It's all about him. Can the Bible fix your marriage? Here's some verses. Um, you know, they're from the Bible, and I think this is going to be helpful to you to fix your marriage. Well, the Bible actually is not designed to fix your marriage. There'll be some help from verses towards your marriage for sure, but the Bible actually is meant to point to Christ and show you what marriage actually is. It will fix your marriage in the sense of showing you what marriage is defined as, what the purpose of marriage is. You know, can the Bible give you new kids by Friday? No. Can the Bible show you how to shepherd your kids' hearts so that they would know the great shepherd? Yes. Yes, it can. But we tend to take the Bible and we take verses and we say, this will help my kids. And on a, on a surface level, it might. And by Friday, you might see some changes. But that's not the point of the Word of God. Christ came to fulfill the law. So it all points to Christ. And so if you're using the Word for some other means, it's weak. You might have flashes in the pan, but it's not doing what it ought. Christ came to fulfill it. And so Luke 24, I want you even to turn there, if you will, and I'll read verse 25. But to give you some background on Luke 24, I mean, Christ went to say this after he rose. There's the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're just kind of kicking dirt, kicking stones, and just frustrated, thinking, what is going on? They don't understand at all what's taken place. Now, Christ told them what would happen, but he has now died. He's in the tomb, so they think. And they don't understand what's going on, and so they're trying to wrap their minds around it, and they're talking about this, and they're discouraged, and so all of a sudden we hear in the Word, Luke 24, Christ is there with them. He's walking with them. He's, hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? Well, he knows what they're talking about, and they say, well, haven't you heard? Like, you got your head in the sand? It's like not hearing about COVID. You know, what? What's COVID? You haven't heard about Christ? Don't you know what's going on? Here's the thing is everyone knew about Christ. But they didn't understand, not everyone, very, a very few amount, in fact, understood who he was. And so Jesus goes on to explain and look at verse 25. He says, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now look, he's coming back to the Old Testament. He's coming back to the prophets, and, and that's his defense. He's saying, you're slow in heart, don't you know? All that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's seen through the prophets. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he went into the greatest Bible study that's ever happened on earth. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Man, can you imagine being a part of that conversation? You'd want to write that down. He's showing them, look, look, it all points to me. I fulfill it. The prophets, they're all pointing to me, and he showed them that day. You go back even, and we go back, he said, remember, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, the law. You go back to Genesis 3.15. I think you guys had gone through Genesis not too long ago. 3.15, or maybe you were just there. Were you not there? Too long? You're there now? Okay, so this is review. Man, I hope that your, your heart just sang as you saw 315, and there's Christ right there. I guarantee you that's where Christ took them. Genesis 315, you get the seed of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of Eve. Who is the seed of Eve? Who came from Eve? Christ came from Eve. He will crush Satan. No one can crush him but Christ. Fully God, fully man. But the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed. Christ will die. He will be bruised, but he will not stay dead. He will rise again. And here's the gospel right there, 315. Jesus came to fulfill it. We see it in the prophets. It's seen in the pattern of Scripture. You get a better priest to mediate. You get a better prophet to speak truth. You get a better king to lead. You get a better servant than Israel to obey the Father. 
You get a better sacrifice for sins once and for all. You get a better Passover lamb, leading to a better exodus from slavery out of sin. Making a new covenant to make things right with us and God. A new mind, a new heart, able to obey you. You see it all, how Israel wasn't able to. You see all these patterns, and it all points to him. Christ who is better. This is why we sing. This is why we sing the words we sing even this morning. He is better. It all points to him. That we would have God. That he would bring us back to himself. And only as God can, even better than the garden. Not the garden again, but even better than the garden. I was at a church plant conference, and maybe some of these things are, this is the first time you've heard of these things, I don't know. For me, it was not very long ago. Uh, As a pastor, at a church plant conference, this is before harvest days, and uh, it was uh, not a great conference. There's a lot about strategies and this and that. And there's, there's, there's good in that. But man, it was all about that. And some guy came up. I won't say who his name is. But he got up there and he preached. And as he preached, and there's like 700 people there. He said the gospel isn't something that you add to the end of the sermon. Which I had been doing as a pastor. With all my heart to try to, here's the gospel. He said, no, no, no. The gospel is the sermon. And it was like a light bulb went off. I was so excited at that moment, I almost stood up, and I'm not charismatic, in my seat and be like, did everyone just hear that? Did you just hear what he said? That, that, that is showing, that he just said what I've been trying to figure out. That's it. The gospel is that. I mean, the gospel is God. The gospel is the truth about us. The, the gospel doesn't just get you into heaven. The gospel is all of life. I could not believe what I was hearing. What I had thought my whole life was what Christ came to do at best was just get us out of hell and get us to heaven. But Christ came to bring us back to God, that we would be about him. And then the gospel doesn't just stop when you come to Christ. Oh good, I've got the gospel and now I move on to what? Something different? Something better? No, 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 the gospel applies to all of life. It speaks to every moment of our waking hours and sleeping. And so Christ says to us, he says, truly, truly, or for truly I say to you. Now when Christ says truly, or truly, truly, it's like him saying, listen up. Like just right now, if you're nodding off, if you're having a hard time, wake up and listen to what I'm about to say. This is what Christ is saying. So truly this, what? And look at it. You can see it. Verse 18. Listen, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Man, that must have been important. Why does that matter so much? Truly, like, listen up. Like, wake up. Listen. Nothing's going to pass away until it's all accomplished. Heaven and earth will, pass, will not pass away. The end of the age. It's, it's applicable all the way till then. And then he says, iota and a dot. What's this? He's saying the smallest Hebrew word to the smallest distinguishing mark. He, he's basically saying like a comma and a period It all matters. 2023, does it still matter? Yes. Till heaven and earth pass away. Till the new heaven and the new earth. He says it matters, every every bit of it. We don't have liberty to pick and choose what's important. Now, we're into winter now, and I'm assuming everyone's put on winter tires. If you have a vehicle, I've done many winters without it because I'm just too cheap to buy the winter tires. You just have to drive extra slow. I would say this. If you can afford it, buy winter tires. They're helpful. Do, do they matter in winter? I would say yes, they matter. But here's the thing. We could say and pick a side and say your winter tire 
matters. But so does the rim that the tire goes on. And so do the lug nuts that the rim goes on, and you know, or the bolts, sorry, and then the lug nuts that keep the rim right on the rotor. Uh, so do the brakes to stop your vehicle. So does the chassis. Like, you just piece together the vehicle, and we say, well, I mean, it doesn't all matter. Well, the kid that, got, that has the loud muffler on your neighborhood, we'd say that probably doesn't matter. But that kid says it matters. Or the guy that's got this, you know, Malibu, and he's got a spoiler on the back of it, we'd say, I don't know why they put that on there. That probably doesn't matter. But the kid that put the aftermarket on there says that matters. Here's the thing. This is those that are designing a vehicle. Every part, in a sense, matters there. And what Christ is saying is, this is my word. And every single part matters. It matters until the end of the age. So what do you think of the Bible? Do you prefer certain parts? And if you're honest in your heart, you say, well, I just don't understand. Okay. But do you know that it matters? And that you need to do the hard work of making sure that you know what it says. Do you have your favorites and you just stick there? If you do, I'll just say this. You'll have a gap in your understanding of Christ. You don't need to know what book it is that maybe you camp in and you never leave. You need all of it. All of it. And some of it, yes, is difficult, but understandable and clear and necessary. Do you look at the Bible like I often do in that struggle to think it's mainly about you? I just need some verses, and maybe we do this with the Word of God. You're struggling with anxiety. Here's some verses on anxiety. Now, I'm not saying that that is awful or wrong. And, and, and on some level, it can be helpful. You're anxious. Here's a verse. Do not be anxious. That can be helpful. But what is stronger, and we need to know this because Christ fulfilled the word. right? What, what is stronger is why are you anxious? Why are you anxious? Who is Christ? Where is your heart going to? What are you afraid of? What are you going after? What's keeping you awake at night? And let's talk about who Christ is and how He is better. Let's talk about how Christ is actually speaking to that. How the Gospel speaks to that. You're angry. Well, here's a verse on do not be angry. Well, that just sounds a whole lot like stop it. And here's a verse to say stop it. If I said to you fathers, don't be angry with your children, and here's a verse... There is not one man who will be 100 years old in the hospital or on his deathbed. You say, man, dude, how have you never been angry with your kids? Like, you were 25 angry, you stopped. Why? Oh, because Kyle said that verse. No. Why are you angry? Where is your heart going? In the Word of God, God is about our heart. It points to the one that we worship, Christ. And so I'm just telling you, and do not... Don't stop. Here's a verse on anger. That's fine. But like dig into like why. Think Christ fulfills the word. You're angry. Why? What do you want? What has God said about it? And who is he? What has he commanded? What has he promised? We're worshipers. And so we, if we believe this, then as brothers and sisters, we need to help. And we often pray this. We need to help one another see Christ. Let me point you to Christ. You're angry. I'm not content just to get you to stop being angry. At best, you'll be a Pharisee. You're just holding it in. You look great, but you're still angry. We need to point to Christ, who is better. One of the things that I do that um, has been helpful, that I was told uh, to do, is, again, I open up God's Word. I typically look to it to say, show me what to do. I'm not saying don't ask God to do that. That is a good prayer. But to start and say, God, show me who you are. Show me who you are. Remember, it points to him. He fulfills it. Christ fulfills it. Show me who you are. And then, yes, after that, show me now what to do. I don't know what to do. But show me who you are. We're worshipers. So what do we think about the Bible? Well, it has a point in his glory. Secondly, what do we think about the Bible? The Bible must be obeyed completely. 
The Bible must be obeyed completely. Look at verse 19. He says, so in light of this, in light of point one, he says, therefore. Therefore. Therefore what? Therefore, if Christ fulfills it, if it all points to him, if it's all for his glory, if, if the word of God is actually meant to magnify him, not just take away anxiety, if that's the case, and it all matters then, every single detail, then it must be obeyed completely. Look at what he says. Then therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever relaxes it just kind of takes the grip off. You loosen the grip. He says, if you're doing that, if you're loosening the grip, you break even then one of the least of these. He doesn't say you'll be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say that. Look at what he says. He doesn't say you'll be excluded. You'll be least. You'll be least in the kingdom. It would be like if you're on your favorite sports team, and I don't want to distract you, so don't, I'm not going to mention sports teams, and then we'll just have a riot here and be like, I love them, I hate them. You got your sports team, whatever team that is, you've got your team captain and you've got your water boy. They're all on the team. But the least on the team would be the water boy. And he says, you will not be excluded if you loosen your grip on this. If you're disobeying God's word right now, plainly, you'll be least in the kingdom, is what Christ says. He's not talking about unknown sins. He's not talking about those. He's talking about known sins, whether they're big or small. And we know this by verse 19. It goes on to say, and teaches others to do the same. And so maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a teacher, so I'm off the hook. Well, it's not what he's saying. He didn't say teachers. He says teaches. We all teach. I don't care who you are. You're, you're teaching continually. As people know you, you are always teaching. Why do you do what you do? Why do you not do what you do? And you're, you're giving an answer. Why, why, why do you struggle staying awake in church? You know, what do you do? Why do you do this, not do this? We all have answers for that. Here's why. And you're teaching people in it. We say things like, well, yeah, but it, it's not like this. It's like that. Or it's only once in a while. Or, you know, why, why do you do those things? Why do you talk that way? Well, man, you should have seen me before. It's just a season Man, I've been through a lot. And Christ is saying, if you're relaxing that hold, you will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. It matters. But hear this and listen to the good news. And many of you are doing this. When we obey God's word and teach others to do the same, verse 19 says that person will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Will be called great. Those that say, I'm obeying, and here's why. Let me tell you why I do this and why I don't do that. Let me tell you why I'm convicted in this way. Why I must, or I can't, or I will continue to. Let me tell you why, because, and they show, here's God's word. I'm obeying my Savior. Let me show you God's word. Because Christ has done this, Christ has commanded this, He's promised this. This is the type of conviction that matters so much. It matters so much that Christ says, if you do not do this, you will be least. But if you do this, you will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So how do we obey completely? Well, R.C. Sproul, I remember he was asked this question. Uh, you don't take. It was, it was in. He would speak at conferences and stuff. And he had kind of open mic. And someone said to him once, you don't take the Bible literally, do you? He said he loved that question. He got asked that question a lot. And he'd love to say, like, well, yes, I do. And then people just lose their minds. Well, you, you take it literally? Like, you, you think it, you know, it, it says this. And so he said, how else can you take it? If it's historical, you take it historically. If it's poetic, you take it poetically. If it's a letter, you take it as a letter. This is how you take it. If it's prophecy, you take it as that. I had guys, there was a season uh, before we went out, actually east, 
and I wasn't sure I was going to pastor again. It's actually plumbing at the time, and guys found out that I was a pastor. I like to keep that a secret as long as possible. <laughs> Just wrecks their day. But, uh, you know, I'll let them see Christ through me, not through, oh, you're a pastor. And just show you through my life. But they found that out. And we got talking. And they said, same thing. Well, doesn't the Bible say this and that? And, you know, and, and like, you, do you take it literally? And I just said to them, look, you, we've got a plumbing manual, right? Yes. In the plumbing manual, does it say, cut the pipe? Yeah. If you just take that out, and that's your go-to verse. You're a plumber in Alberta, and your verse is whatever section and chapter and line this is cut the pipe. You're not going to have a job very long. Yes, it says that, but within context, how do we take this? Firemen, right? Burn the house down, a controlled fire. You, you see where I'm going. Yeah, there's a time for that. How do we take the Bible? So how do we obey it completely? We, we obey it the way it's meant to be obeyed in its immediate context. In biblical history, before the cross, at the cross, after the cross, this matters so much. Is it, is it describing something or is it prescribing something? Is it hard to understand? What does other scripture say about it? God will not disagree with God. Is it implied or is it explicit? And all of it in light of, of Christ. So what do you think about the Bible? Does it cause you to bend? Do you bend to it? Have you been to it but you feel tired? You're like, I, I did that until this thing happened. I've done that until I just don't feel it anymore. I'm telling you, hear this. It is good, and it is God's word. And he says, obey it completely until the end of the age. Then we'll hear straight from God Almighty. Not until just feelings leave or it stops working or we feel, you know, we're just looking for a supernatural work of God to show me something, God. We obey, we obey completely, we bend to it completely as good news. If it's what God says about who I am, then I, I don't need approval. I'll bend to that. I won't go after that. If it says that about forgiveness, then I must talk to that person. It is terrifying, but I must because God says he says that about who he is, then, then I can trust him. Though I don't understand what's happened. It doesn't make any sense. I can't explain it. But he has said this about who he is. So we bend to it and we say, I will worship him. If it says that about what he's done, then I don't need to be fearful. And I'll just say this too. All of this is not just done in your prayer closet. Though it is done in your prayer closet... But it is always done in community, in a church. Submission under a church and shepherding is never done alone. God has designed the church in that way. If you want to obey God's word completely, then you cannot do it alone. And you don't just take a brother or sister and your favorite one from wherever. That can also be helpful, but you, you will do this. We will do this, Redemption Church, as we do this as a church and help one another in it. And so this is what we think about the Bible. It has a point, <clears throat> glory. It must be obeyed completely. And lastly, the Bible reveals someone better, Jesus. Look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Unless it's higher than the righteousness of those religious leaders, you are not entering the kingdom of heaven. Now, as they've heard this part in the sermon, as Christ is preaching this, I wonder if they were thinking, and almost certainly they were like, well, we got it. We, we don't have time. We got to get up now and go and, and be better and just be more righteous, increase our efforts. And, and he talks about the scribes, and they're thinking, okay, the scribes, they translated the Old Testament like, I got to learn Hebrew like yesterday. Pharisees, well, they obeyed the law every single detail to the point where the written Old Testament law, yes, but then they would add to it their own traditions to say, man, you can only pick up these many sticks on a Sunday. 
You can only walk this distance and no longer. They had all these rules to try to obey the law perfectly. Christ says you have to be better than that. He does that for a reason. What do we do? That's crushing. It must exceed. It must surpass it. But Jesus wasn't saying, be better than the next person. That's not what he was saying. He's actually setting up the next part of his sermon. And you look at verse 48. It's a couple, couple verses later. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that's, that's getting very clear. Well, that's impossible. That is, that is not possible. He is holy. We just sang that. Holy, holy, holy. He's saying you have to be perfect. You have to be holy. We say it's impossible, but that is so tempting. And our sinful nature is so tempting to try. We're so prone to try. I want to show you it as an illustration to hopefully help you understand what Christ was intending in this. We're going to have scribes, and I don't think we think of, you know, be holier than. I don't think we think of scribes and Pharisees right now. Maybe you do. I doubt it. I want to show a picture here of Mother Teresa. Now, I don't know if you know who she is. Anyone heard of her? Yeah? Okay, so some familiarity there. Okay, so Mother Teresa, she, uh, she passed away in 1997. So she was a Catholic nun. She's serving the poorest of the poor in the slums of Calcutta, India. She said she wanted to serve Christ. So she's kind of, I think, a good picture for us to say, who, who's the most kind of righteous person maybe that would be well known? We need to surpass that. And I want to just say this, as you think of Mother Teresa, and I don't know much about her, other than what I just read to you. And I heard a lot about her when I was in high school. If I was to say, I know for certain that she is in hell, what would you think? Like right now, what, what comes into your head? Maybe you think, well, how can you be so arrogant? Uh, you didn't know her. Maybe you're thinking this. Maybe you're thinking, well, wait a second. Didn't she do all those things? Like, didn't she say she was even doing it for Jesus? You and I ought to be thinking this. If anyone says, oh, no, I know for sure she's in hell. Well, we know only God would know that. So the thought would have to be, if that's the case, then she wasn't trusting Christ in what he did and who he was. She might have said some things like, Lord, Lord, did we not and I know she had said a lot of that. I hope I've done enough. Did I not do this? Look what I've done for Christ. But we have to be thinking, man, there's no way she's in hell. And if you're thinking that, then you're thinking, because I know she was trusting in who Christ is and what he has done for her on the cross. But I don't think our heart goes there. We often, if you're like me, naturally we just think, well, wait, like, whoa, didn't she do but we have to be thinking, you must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. We must be thinking, who does that? Who ex ex exceeds the most righteous person you can think of? Jesus Christ. God. That's who does. We don't want to minimize that at all by thinking and, and playing games with Mother Teresa and thinking like, well, maybe. And we have to be thinking the only hope she had was that she trusted in the righteousness that exceeded all others, which was never going to be her own, which was Christ. Philippians 3.9 says this. Where will you find righteousness that surpasses Mother Teresa? Verse 9, Philippians 3. Paul says he wants to be found in him, that is in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes and listen 
through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It depends on it. The righteousness from where did you hear it? It comes from God. It comes from Him. Where will you find a righteousness that surpasses Teresa or whoever you can think of, or your own? From God. Where do you get a righteousness like that? Where do you find the righteousness from God? It's real simple, and it's such good news. From God. From God. So a final illustration for you. Um, this is called the Great Exchange. And maybe you've heard of it before. Go up, there's the picture there. We often think of ourselves, and again, Mother Teresa in mind. I was to ask you about your own sin. We would look at that bottom circle and us and think, like, I have, I have sinned. There's very few people. I've actually never met one. Maybe, maybe they exist. They're like, I've never sinned. They have no sense of guilt at all or shame. But we often would say, like, I've sinned, and there's sin in my, my life, and so it's kind of tainted my life. Scripture actually speaks of our sin, that that would be true, yes, all of sin, but that top circle is more accurate to what God says about our sin, and we need to hear this, because this is what God has said, and it's true. Because of sin, I am completely corrupted. There is no good in me. There's not little bits of holiness I'm completely corrupted by sin. You need to know that. Dead. Bottom of the ocean. Swollen corpse. No one is helping themselves. There is no hope. That is the truth of man. We're born into this. Where do we get righteousness then? And please hear me. If you believe this, then I hope this is just causing joy to well up in you. Because where do we get holiness? From the Holy One. We sang it, holy, holy, holy. The righteousness of God comes from God, who is holy. There is no evil in him at all. He is God. And so God says, you need righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. You need the righteousness that comes from God. How do we get that? Not from the law. Not by our obedience to the law. But through Christ's obedience to the law. Christ lived perfectly. He lived out the law perfectly. He's the Holy One. Christ, being fully man and fully God, can then exchange for us, taking our sin, all of it, not parts of it, not some of it, but a substitute, and He takes on our sin, and He is crushed on the cross for us. He bears it completely. It is finished, He said. Hear this. It is done. This is our only hope. And then, not just that, he doesn't leave us there. Then he credits us his righteousness through the cross, rising again to prove the sacrifice was enough. He credits us what? Not just some of his holiness, and I hope you figure the rest out. Not some of it and be a good Christian now. No, all of it. It's our only hope. He gives you his righteousness, and you are seen as holy. This is the good news of the gospel. And it is the most arrogant thing. Now, we struggle with this. I struggle with this. I need to be reminded of this. But for me to say, if someone says, would you go to heaven today? Would you be with God today? And I say, well, I, I don't know. I hope I've done enough. I kind of navel gaze. Think I, I, don't, I think about last week. I thought about today. This morning wasn't good. That is, in fact, it sounds humble. But in light of the truth of the gospel, it is the most arrogant thing we could ever do. You say, yes, I struggle with it. But no, I know for sure why. Because Christ's sacrifice was enough. He took all my sin. Past, present, future. His righteousness was enough. I'm not banking on my own righteousness. By faith, I'm trusting in something better. The righteousness of God. And so for me to say, ah, I don't know, is actually saying it's not enough. Is he's not, he didn't take enough on the cross or he doesn't offer enough holiness and he does. The most humble thing we can say then is first then to come to Christ and say, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. It is true. And you are holy. And you are as good as you say you are. And the cross was sufficient as you said it was 
Forgive me, I trust in that. I trust in you and God. I was always meant to worship you. But worshiping all these other things, I give you my life. I bend the knee to my king. And then day by day, we come back to that. I say, God, forgive me. I'm trying to do this on my own. God, you are so good. You are righteous. You have the words of life. So what do we think about the word of God? And Christ said he was the word. What do we think about the Bible? Well, it's about the glory of Christ. We know that. And as you read, and I hope you are on a, a reading plan, I hope you do work hard on it. I'm behind on mine. <laughs> as you read and as you memorize, as you get together with a brother and sister and you say, man, help me understand this, and you dig into the Word, I hope that you would grow as a worshiper in Christ, growing in your trust of Him, your fear of Him, your love for Him, your dependence on Him. And as you read, you would say, God, I, don't just show me first what to do. I, I, I need to know what to do. But God, show me who you are. Show me who you are. And you stay with that. And you say, ah, it's not working. The word of God is not the problem. When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. We do it not to earn something, but to know someone. He has earned it all for us. We use God's word for all of life. That others would grow in their worship of him, hanging on every word, no matter so much, obeying completely, worshiping Christ, who is so much better. Praise God. And so this is good news. Amen. That he has given us the gospel, that he has given us his word. Praise God that we have freedom to do what we've done this morning. May God bless you and keep you. And so let me, let me pray, and then we're going to worship in song to close our time. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father,